Welcome to the Brisbane Property Podcast with your hosts, Melinda and Scott Jennison from Streamline Property Buyers, your local Brisbane property specialists. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Brisbane Property Podcast. I think I mentioned last week we uh, moved into December and the start of summer. Well, summer's definitely here in Brisbane and the cricket, first cricket ashes test is underway. So it's always nice to see that. You know that summer's well and truly underway and um, hopefully... Uh, the weather stays good for them, so they get five days of cricket in. So I won't give you too much more weather update other than yeah, a few showers around, but hopefully they get some fine weather for the cricket. <laughs> Welcome back, everybody. Look, we've got a Ripper episode planned again today, um, and it is on the back of a recent report that has been issued. Um, this report is a housing affordability report just released in November 2021, and it's a... Con- a combined um, report put together by ANZ Bank and CoreLogic. So um, I'm really excited to be able to drill down into the details of this report, specifically as it relates to Brisbane, where Brisbane is placed in relation to the national market. But even more so, we're going to um, take a deep dive into some of the regions within Brisbane um, to get an idea of which are the least affordable locations. So as Melinda mentioned, we, we'll go through this um, report in a little bit of detail, um, obviously comparing Brisbane to some other areas. Um, but, I mean, the report itself, can you give us just a bit of a summary of it, for example, um, to begin with, and then we'll touch on sort of what it is and, and how it is how it's been determined? Yeah, so this is a report that has been issued um, which really helps Australians to understand Um, areas of affordability and areas where um, it's most affordable and least affordable. I guess, you know, with home values relative to incomes uh, rapidly increasing in recent years, it's, it's led to those conversations around you know, how much longer can this last? Um, and a lot of the affordability indicators are either, you know, spread across the nation as one number or divided by state or divided by city. But really, when you dig down into the data, affordability um, is really an indicator at a local level. And it's really important for people to understand that. I think that what we found in um, recent times as house values and, and property values as a whole have increased a lot faster than incomes, um, what we found is that it's it's taking much, much longer for first home buyers to save for a deposit. And that's one measure of affordability. But at the same time, recently, we've had a situation where interest rates have also been at record lows. So serviceability, that is the amount it actually costs to service a mortgage, it's actually been less impacted. So I think that when we're looking at affordability, there's a lot of things that need to be considered. And as we talk through this podcast, we're really going to drill down into some of the considerations that that need to be understood. So so when we look at, um, I, I guess, when we're talking about the affordability side, if we look at what it is and how it's determined, I guess if, if you break it down to the non-data research sort of people and you simplify it, it, I guess it's in a simple way, it's looking at the prices of houses to what people earn as income and what they can afford, how long it takes to save them that money to afford that type of house um, so they can actually buy into the property market, correct? Yeah, look, that is correct. And in simple terms, it's the the easiest way to measure and and quite often it's the most referenced way of measuring affordability. In isolation, however, it does miss a really important um, particular and that is when interest rates are low, obviously 
it, the amount it costs to service a mortgage can be impacted. So um, the metric does miss the practicalities of house servicing. That is how much it costs to repay a loan. So therefore, this report takes a deep dive into a number of measures to assess housing affordability. Um, and I guess if we run through what those measures are, it will help some of you as listeners to, to get an understanding of the different ways that housing affordability can be measured. So, so how is it determined then? Yeah, look, I think household incomes, um, we've always got to consider that that's a lagging indicator as well. And the most um, reliant method of measuring household incomes comes through census data. Um, and the most recent census data that's available to us all as researchers is um, back in 2016 now. So, it, uh, sorry, the 2000, it, sorry, the last census was in 2016. Um, however, the, the census that we've all just completed this year in 2021, that data won't be released until next year. So the, the data we're looking at is lagging. However, this survey um, there's relies on a survey of income and housing, which is taken from a 2017 to 2018 financial year. So this survey does um, rely on some more recent information. So it is a little bit more updated. So I guess that's one thing to keep in mind. The data for incomes is always lagging, whereas the most recent um, property data where that's available month to month in the core logic updates. So, you know, when we are assessing affordability, we've got to consider that. And, and I guess something that's not going to be in this report, I presume, is is the effects of COVID. So with people not travelling um, like we used to do, spending all our money travelling and things like that, saving money, I guess that's going to have an impact on, I presume, the next report that comes out. Um, or is it in, it's not in this report, obviously? Look, I think that, um, you know, overall, that doesn't impact on the housing affordability as such. What it means is that there's been more people that have accumulated savings. So the COVID lockdowns have actually changed household consumption patterns um, and has um, basically households have actually paused spending. There's been no overseas travel. In fact, there's been very little um, travel around Australia. It's just been within a single state. So what that has meant is that household savings as a ratio um has increased to 22% in the June 2020 quarter against previous decade averages um, of around 6.7%. So that's a huge increase in the availability of savings that people have accumulated simply because of so many lockdowns. But um, look, let's run through some of the housing affordability measures as outlined in this report, and then we'll take a deep dive into how Brisbane fares compared to other capital cities around Australia, and then we're going to take a deep dive into some of the regions around Brisbane. Sure. So so what are those um, those measures and how is it measured? So the first measure is um, the most frequently used measure, and that's a ratio of dwelling values to income. So basically that's using median household income data, and it's also using median dwelling value data from CoreLogic. And you can determine a ratio of the dwelling values to the household incomes over time. And it's usually expressed as a multiple of the median income. So for example, um, where a median value is $500,000 and a median household income is $100,000, the ratio would be five. That is dwelling values are five times higher than the gross annual household income. So that's a simple number um, that every location 
um, is allocated based on median household incomes and median dwelling values. And it also then looks at um, how long it takes to save a deposit on a house? Yeah, so that's the second metric, um, the number of years that it takes to save a 20% deposit for a house. Now, that's simply uh, measured by, as a, um, an indicator based on how long it takes you to um, accumulate the amount that um, would equal 20% of the median value of dwellings in that location. So again, another indicator of affordability, especially for those that are yet to get into the housing market and they are saving for a deposit. Of course, acknowledging that some people can borrow with less than 20% deposit, paying LMI insurance, etc., um, depending on their income, sorry, depending on their industry of work that may not be applicable, but for the majority of borrowers, at least a 20% deposit is required. Okay, so then you've got your deposit. Does it then take into account the serviceability and things like that? So this report does, and um, you know that's why it provides a, um, a more broad or a more holistic measure of affordability. So this also measures the proportion of household income that is required to service a new mortgage in that particular location. So again, I feel that that is a another good indicator um, because it also considers the cost of borrowing at a particular point in time, um, and that that way that sort of um, accounts for the fact that we are in a low interest rate environment. And then obviously the rent side of things to pay the rent. Yeah, of course, affordability is not only measured in how much it costs to purchase a house, but also how much it costs to rent a house. Um, so this report also measures the proportion of household income that's required to pay rent, keeping in mind that in a lot of locations, um, given the very low interest rate environment, it's actually more expensive to rent a property than it is to buy a property. Um, but the limitation for a lot of people is that they don't have the capacity to save the deposit. So, you know, I like the measures that are used in this report because it's very holistic and it provides a number of different indicators that we can look at. And surprisingly, some areas might be more affordable to rent but less affordable to buy and other areas are um, the complete opposite and that's what we're going to take a deep dive into. So <laughs> with this report and the information we, we get from it, why is it important? Why do we why do we look at it, and why is it such an important thing to look at? Well, obviously, there's so much talk at the moment about the housing bubble must burst. You know, the property values cannot keep rising. You know, Australian house prices are overpriced. Um, the reality is, as I mentioned earlier, that not every region is uh, faring the same way, and I think it's important to have a look at some of the affordability indicators um, when we get down to suburb or. or SA3 details in Brisbane, I will point out that um, there's even some flaws in relying on this type of data to select suburbs. And there's so many things that need to be um, overlaid with even just this affordability data, because for example, you must understand the demographic who lives in a certain location, because if you've got predominantly retirees living in a certain area, they are no longer income earners and therefore the income indicators for that particular location may be skewed and that may show that that area is a um, you know, much more expensive area to buy simply because incomes as recorded in that location are lower because a lot of people have retired. So all of these things need to be overlaid. Nothing can be considered in isolation, uh, but it is just really important to get a snapshot view to understand the most affordable locations um, within Australia, within a city, uh, but also the, the least affordable locations because obviously as interest rates go up, we need to understand which locations may be at more risk than others 
Um, but as I said, this indicator alone should not be relied upon um, in isolation. It really needs to be overlaid with a, a lot of other details. So, so as you mentioned, then obviously for, for future planning, I guess, and, and uh, avoiding risk, you've got to take into account the, 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 the chances that interest rates could rise. And I guess from an investment side of things, making sure that if it's in an area that you want to charge more rent in the future, they need to be able to afford to pay that rent in the future. Absolutely. 100% spot on. And, um, you know, I guess for upward pressure on prices or upward pressure on rents, you really need to be in a location where people can afford to pay more. So, you know, getting an understanding of the affordability measures um, at a local level, it, it just makes sense. So I know people do talk, and, and we've said this so many times on our on our podcast, um, where people talk about uh, the housing market and they talk about Sydney and Melbourne, and it probably does annoy us a little bit sometimes. Um, Brisbane doesn't seem to come into that play along with some of the other capitals. Um, so it's really focused, I think a lot of people in the media are, are really focused on Sydney, Melbourne all the time. This, this next bit, which we'll probably jump into, and we do a bit of a comparison um, compared to Brisbane, for example, just to see those some of the information we've got from this study um, on that affordability side and just break it down into different um, different sectors, if you like. So, look, you know, according to this study, um, it's very evident that Brisbane is one of the most affordable capital city house markets within Australia. Um, we fall just behind Darwin and Perth, who are also the other two most affordable cities. Now, the median dwelling value to income ratio was 6.6 .6 in the June 2021 quarter, and mortgage serviceability was a relatively manageable 32% of household incomes. So that just gives you a snapshot view of Brisbane, but it does show that there is consistent discrepancy in Brisbane between the house market and the unit market. And I think this is also something that we have been referencing in recent months, especially with our property market updates. The housing market is performing a lot stronger than the unit market. And what we've seen is that over the last decade, that's the last 10 years, unit values across Brisbane have only increased by around 0.6% per annum, while incomes have increased 1.8% per annum. So unit growth is lagging behind income growth here in Brisbane. That is not the same for housing data. So that's the first takeaway from this report. When we break down the um, value of household incomes to um, to household prices um, or to house prices, we find that uh, we've got a value to household income ratio of 7.4 for houses and 4.7 for units. So that gives you an indication of how much more affordable units are relative to incomes here in Brisbane compared to houses. But then when we look at the, um, the house market alone and we compare Brisbane's ratio of 7.4 um, to Melbourne, which is sitting at 10.5 and Sydney, which is sitting at 12.5, it gives you a much clearer view of how much more affordable Brisbane is in comparison to Melbourne and Sydney when it comes to housing affordability. And when we look at the unit values in Brisbane, we've got um, a house to income, uh, sorry, a unit to income ratio of 4.7 in Brisbane, whereas in Melbourne, that is 6.9 and in Sydney, 8.1. And in fact, I just want to bring listeners' attention to one point here, and that is in Brisbane, the house to income ratio is 7.4. In Sydney, the unit to income ratio is 8.1. So it is more affordable 
for property buyers to buy a house in Brisbane than it is for property buyers to purchase a unit in Sydney. And that's a massive takeaway from this report. And you'll probably get a house closer to the CBD than what you would get a unit in Sydney to the <laughs> CBD as well. I'm not sure on that exactly, but that's just a bit of a guess on that one. So if we follow the same pattern that we did at the start, and you've talked about that ratio now, to get to get started and, and at the beginning, obviously you need that deposit. So why don't we look then as a comparison then on the years to save that deposit um, to buy that house? So when we look at the Brisbane data, for example, and we look at how many years does it take to save for a deposit um, to buy a unit, that's 6.2 years. And how many years does it take to save a deposit for a house in Brisbane? That's 9.9 years, according to this report. Now, if we then compare that to Melbourne, for units in Melbourne, it takes 9.2 years to save a 20% deposit. And for houses in Melbourne, it takes 14 years. And then when we look at Sydney, to buy a unit, you've got 10.8 years to save a 20% deposit and to buy a house, 16.6 years just to save a deposit. So that's a massive difference when it comes to um, comparing the other East Coast capitals um, against Brisbane. That, that's really interesting when you look at someone, let's say, for example, you finish school at the age of 18, mm. roughly, um, you get a job. Um, I don't think you're getting paid a massive amount at, at that time, but you know, let's let's say 20, just to round the numbers up, and you start earning money at 20 years old in Brisbane. 30, you can round 30, you can buy a house. Um, Sydney, that's 16. On, I mean, that's 36. There's you're nearly 40. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a, big it's a huge difference um, yeah. when you look at that, and you actually really simplify it and break it down into life itself and when you start to earn money and how long it takes as well. And the unit market, obviously even less, you know, six, um, 6.2, you said, um, so that's 26 years old. You could probably buy a unit in, um, in Brisbane. And I think the takeaway here is, you know, um, a lot of people have their eye on um, the biggest and the best, but getting into the market is a stepping stone and perhaps you can't afford exactly what you want first up. Um, but if you are stepping into the market, um, you can then get some capital appreciation and use the equity growth from that asset to continue to build on that uh, portfolio, whether that's sell that first um, home to upgrade or whether that's retain that first property, convert it into an investment and purchase the next home. There's lots of different methods of getting into the property market. But the important thing is that it is a lot more affordable to get into the Brisbane market um, when you are saving for that initial 20% deposit um, compared to getting into the Sydney or the Melbourne market as a first-time buyer. Yeah, I do agree. It's just getting into the market and, and whether it is a unit or whether it's a house, but getting your foot in the door and getting into that market. Um, you know, we do talk about it sometimes as well on our on the podcast about the unit. We're watching that unit market pretty close um, just to seeing what's happening. I did actually notice this morning, um, early as this morning, took the boys for a swim over at UQ very early um, on the way back driving on Coronation Drive and I looked across the river at West End and there was actually some cranes um, quite noticeable. Oh, there was probably six to eight cranes I noticed just on that side um, and that's there's a lot of units in that section along the river. Um, you're, just, you're close to South Bank and straight across the bridge to the city. So it's really close to the CBD. Um, and it looks like some of those units are starting to, to progress through that development stage and into construction. Something to keep in mind because that is the potential for future supply. And I know how much we've talked about that in previous episodes. Yeah. But now let's look at um, the, the next indicator of affordability, and that is the proportion of household income that's required to service a new mortgage. 
And again, we'll break that down into the housing market and the unit market here in Brisbane. Now, surprisingly, um, to service the mortgage when you purchase a unit in Brisbane, just 22.7% of total household income is required to service that mortgage. That is a very affordable um, proportion of income that leaves, you know, 78% of your income as disposable income. So that in itself is... um, is you know a bit of an eye opener for, for me when we look at the housing market 35.9 percent um is required to service a brand new mortgage here in brisbane so um comparing that to melbourne in the unit market 33.3 percent is required to service a unit mortgage and 50.8 percent of household income is required to service a house mortgage that's half um, so you can see the difference between brisbane and Melbourne when it comes to a serviceability assessment. But wait, it gets better. When we look at Sydney, 39.2% of household income is required to service a new mortgage. And in the housing market, 60.4% of household income is required to service a new mortgage. That is huge. And it's not quite double the affordability um, compared to Brisbane, so that's huge. So, so when we talk about affordability and lifestyle, that's where that's the difference. So you you can live in Brisbane, it, it's affordable as as we've gone through, but you've still got sixty five percent if you buy a house of your income where you can go out for dinner and enjoy yourself. Yeah, compared to Sydney where you'll have sort of only forty percent of it. <laughs> only forty percent. So there there you go, people. That gives you an indication of um, the affordability of Brisbane when we compare it to. Um, Sydney and Melbourne. And look, we simply just don't have time in this podcast to compare Brisbane to every other capital. We just like to um, demonstrate the difference between the two other large capital cities of Australia, because often when the commentators and the media talk about the Australian property market, they are referencing uh, Sydney and Melbourne, which do make up the largest two capital cities and the majority of uh, property transactions. However, another point Um, that needs to be taken is that not all capital cities are the same and people must understand at a local level the difference. So then so then the rental side of it um, obviously for those investors or people that do want to rent um, if you look at that rent and what's required to um, to pay the rent. Yeah so it's definitely um, more expensive to rent a unit in Brisbane than to own a unit in Brisbane. So 24.2 percent of household income is required to pay rent Um, in a unit in Brisbane. Remember, 22.7 was required to own a unit and repay the mortgage with interest rates as low as they are. So it is more expensive to rent a unit in Brisbane than it is to buy a unit in Brisbane. Um, And when we look at the housing sector, 29.6% of household income is required to service rent um, in the housing sector, compared with 35.9% of household income required to service a mortgage um, in the housing sector. So slightly more of your income will go towards mortgage repayments compared to rental repayments. But again, it does come down to where you buy because there's a lot of locations in Brisbane where it is more expensive to rent than buy. So if I just look at those numbers really quick and if you can knuckle down and save some money in six to nine years, it's cheaper. It's almost pretty much cheaper to actually buy something than to rent something. With interest rates as they are today, that yep. is correct. Yep. Yes. So, what about in other cap in Melbourne and, and Sydney? How does that compare? So, when we re- uh, compare the proportion of household income required to pay rent for the unit sector, um, so that's twenty four point two percent in Brisbane, 
exactly the same in Melbourne. So it's the same cost to rent a unit in Sydney, uh, sorry, in Melbourne as it is in Brisbane. And when we look at the unit market in Sydney, it's 27.4%. So it does cost you a little bit more to rent a unit in Sydney when we compare it to Melbourne and Brisbane, which are equal. If we go back to the proportion of household income required to pay rent in Brisbane, we've got 29.6%. In Melbourne, 28.2%. It's cheaper to rent in Melbourne than it is to rent in Brisbane. And then when we look at Sydney, 34.2%. So it's a more expensive city to rent in compared to both Melbourne and Brisbane. But um, the interesting metric there, um, it is cheaper to rent a house according to median value data um, in Melbourne than it is to in Brisbane. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I I wouldn't have thought it was that much as, as well. It's very it's pretty similar, um, but the other the other numbers just made a massive difference. I think the numbers of years, if we just reflect back, the numbers of the years to save that deposit, and, and obviously um, that serviceability of the um, of the loan as well. They're, and, they're big numbers and big differences there. And it's also reflective of the fact that Brisbane is a typically higher yielding city, and that's why a lot of investors are attracted to Brisbane because your return on investment. Um, through rent is higher than the likes of Melbourne, which is a lower yielding city as a whole. So if you break that down in some areas, and, and this is quite interesting when you when you look at some different locations, um, obviously uh, in Brisbane, um, and you look at the sort of the value of the to the income comparing that, um, if you look at just just throw one straight away if you like to, to, to begin with, like Bribey, for example, uh, it's a retirement location. Mm. Um, and obviously the, the value of that income side of things. Yeah, so if we're looking at affordability, affordability measures across SA3 region, region, so this is not suburb level, but it's a statistical region um, that the government defines. So it includes um, a number of uh, suburb clusters. We've got Bribey Beachmere as um, the least affordable location or the most expensive location, if you like. So that's coming in at a value to income ratio of 10.4. So when we look at Greater Brisbane, this is the least affordable location. And this is where I said earlier in the podcast, it's so important to understand who lives in a location to understand why we're seeing these numbers. And as Scott said, Bribie is largely a uh, destination for retirees. So naturally, the income measures in a location like this will be lower. Does it mean that people can't afford to uh, pay their mortgage? Not necessarily. This is when you dig deeper into the data to understand that demographic, understand how many of the people that live there own their property outright. We're not going to go into that sort of information today, but this is where uh, we're just helping you understand some of the metrics that you can look at, but you can never use them in isolation. You have to layer them up with other metrics to get an understanding of these areas. So when we look at the value to income ratios um, and we look at the top five um, least affordable locations in Greater Brisbane, Bribie Beachmere does come in at number one. And number two? Yeah, so that's Brisbane Inner West. So um, another interesting location. Um, Inner West is dominated by the um, university precinct. So um, typically you may have a demographic where there's more renters uh, than there are um, owner-occupiers, but you might also find that a lot of them are part-time workers because they are students potentially skewing the data. And this is not confirmed because we've not um, researched all of this, but it's just important to understand uh, what you need to to read into. So that's coming in at a value to income ratio at 9.2. So it's interesting when we do talk about this and, and it's that local on the ground knowledge that we do talk about. 
Um, you know, straight away, as as I said at the start, Bribey Beachmere, straight away for me, I go, well, that's a lot of people go and retire at Bribey. Beautiful. 45 minutes to an hour up, up the up the highway. Um, you go across the bridge and they fish and they relax and they eat fish and chips and it, it's a real retirement place. And, and as you just said, uh, inner west, universities. So knowing that the universities are in that area, St Lucia and University of Queensland, things like that, more students. Um, the next one, Mount Gravatt. Again, another university precinct, Griffith University um, campus is at Mount Gravatt. A lot of higher density development um, has recently come through in Mount Gravatt as well. Um, so all of this needs to be incated, um, all of this needs to be considered. Um, the indicator there, 8.8% value to income, property values to income ratio. So um, that's number three. Number four, Sunnybank. Um, that's come in at 8.6 and that has, um, well, it's actually equal four and five because it's also come in alongside Redcliffe with 8.4, um, sorry, 8.6 as well. So um, if we go in order, Bribey Beach near the least affordable, Brisbane Inner West ranking number two, Mount Gravatt number three, and then Redcliffe and Sunnybank equaling um, positions four and five as the least affordable locations according to um, household values as a proportion of incomes. Interesting numbers. Very interesting. And, and if you if you then look at the um, proportion of income to rent. Mm. So again, um, if we're looking at the top five and the least affordable locations, uh, Bribey Beachmere does come in as the most uh, expensive area to rent. That's 45.2% of household incomes are required to service uh, renting on a property. Number two, we've got Redcliffe um, as a um, an area that 37.2% of total household income is going out towards rent. Number three, we've got Cleveland and the Stradbroke Island region where 35.1% of household incomes is going towards rent. Then we've got number four at Capalabar, again out in the Redlands region, 34.3% of household income going I beg your pardon. I've misread that. It's actually Kabulcha. Um, Kabulcha Hinterland. That's um, my eyes not working very well today. So 34.3% um, of Kabulcha Hinterland residents, um, so 34.3% of their income is going towards paying rent. And then in number five, you've got the Bow Desert region where 34% of household incomes are going towards rent. Sorry about that. I should be wearing my glasses. Yes, sometimes <laughs> I have mine on, so you need them sometimes to read those numbers. <laughs> it's interesting some of those areas. And again, just knowing those locations, where they are, who lives there, what they do, um, you've, you need to understand that on the ground sort of knowledge uh, and that local knowledge of an area. Um, you know, if I went to say, for example, Adelaide or somewhere like anywhere else, I probably wouldn't have a clue at who lives where and what they do and what their income is and, and, and whether to buy in that sort of area. If you're going to buy a property, say, for an investment, uh, you need to know the, the demographics of that area, who's going to pay the rent and how are they going to afford to pay the rent, not just now but also in the future because you're not just going to buy that, that investment property for one or two years. You, you buy it for a longer-term plan and, and they need to be able to afford to pay the rent. And if you can increase the rent, obviously that's better for you as well as an investor. Absolutely. And, you know, I guess um, everything needs to be taken in context. And this report um, should never be uh, read in isolation, as I've mentioned a number of times. It's so important not only to understand the most affordable and least affordable locations according to incomes and values, but also diving deeper to understand that demographic more, understand what makes up that demographic and, you know, why the numbers might be showing what they show. Because, 
data is great, but interpreting data is what makes or breaks um, the the reality of the situation. So, you know, it's really important that you don't rely 100% on data, get that local knowledge, understand, interpret that data, um, and then you'll be able to make better investment decisions. Fantastic. Well, that, that was an interesting Interesting read, some interesting numbers. Um, hopefully that's helped everyone and sort of cleared a few things up. Um, obviously, Brisbane, as we say, it's affordable and, and it's livable. So, um, And it's changing, as we mentioned last week in our other podcast. So, look, we've got a couple of um, couple more podcasts to come to prepare you for some nice Christmas listening. Um, we'll bring them to you in the next couple of weeks before we have a little break over that Christmas break, hopefully. Um, but I'll let Melinda wrap it up as we normally do. Um, it's been great talking to you again. Hope everyone has enjoyed that and um, take care and bye for now. Yes, thanks for tuning in once again. And I hope that's been some useful information about affordability here in Brisbane, breaking it down into different regions and also how Brisbane does compare to the other major East Coast capitals. As always, if you have enjoyed our episode, please don't forget to leave us a review. Let us know what you like. Um, feel free to send any questions in. Uh, we do have a lot of questions building up. Um, for another Q&A session. So we will cover those questions and thank you to those that have already sent them in. Um, As always, please share the podcast with friends and family. We do look forward to speaking with you again next week. Until then, bye for now. Thanks for tuning in today. Please remember everything we have spoken about on this podcast is general in nature and we always recommend that you obtain independent advice in relation to your specific circumstances. If you liked today's episode, don't forget to subscribe or leave us a review on iTunes and, of course, tell your friends about us. If you would like to get in contact, please visit www.brisbanepropertypodcast.com.au or email us at info at brisbanepropertypodcast.com.au. Feel free to send in any questions and we will try to answer them in future episodes.